Fortunately, we're not part of the Catholic Church, and there is no Madonna who can intercede on your behalf. There's only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but a wise man will listen to his wife, right? Okay, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can be together. Uh, This is your day, and there is no better place to be but in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord to gaze upon your beauty. And Lord, it's our desire that for the rest of our lives, this is where we would be. And we just thank you that we have the opportunity, even though life is not perfect and things are hard, uh, at the end of the day that you have given us fellow pilgrims that we can walk together on this journey uh, together to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to point one another uh, to the hills from whence our help comes, our help comes from you. And so we just thank you for this precious time that we have together. We pray that you would be with the children at this time and be with Steve as he ministers to them. May it be a sweet time for them too. And would their eyes behold your goodness and grace, Lord, in the house of the Lord. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Well, we will do our best uh, to be concise. If, you, if I am, you know that that's a miracle from the Lord. Um, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, let's see, David Goo, you're closest to the front. Would you be so kind as to come up and read Isaiah 6, 1 through 7 for us, please? All right, um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the, the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each has six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. David. Now we, Danny had no idea that, I, I don't think he did anyways, that we chose this passage for today um, when he chose the song for the children that we did. And I always love the way the Lord works through the praise team to uh, get us on the same page. And this afternoon, I still thought I was in this morning. This afternoon, it's been a long day. This afternoon, what I hope to do for you is to draw a connection between what we just read, Isaiah 6, and what we're studying in Lagos. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, specifically, and Titus chapter 2. Okay, and hopefully it'll be a warm-up for this uh, coming Wednesday evening. The idea behind Cornerstone is that we have a ministry where... Our hope and desire is that you would be equipped for the household of God and that your individual houses, be it with your roommates or your families, would be an extension of the household of God and that you would know and enjoy the presence of Christ and his blessing and his goodness and the goodness of the gospel would overflow in your hearts and lives and homes. And so if we look at Lagos, where Lagos, we study the word, but the application there is about rightly hearing God's word. 
That's actually an application. Do we rightly hear and heed God's Word? Does it come in and do we receive it, and does it transform and change our lives, how we think, our desires, our hearts? Well, if you're a child of God, it does. Okay, and by extension, this idea of cornerstone taken from Ephesians chapter 2 and also Matthew chapter 7 is this idea of if you're a child of God, you're a living stone, and Christ is your cornerstone, and we are being built up together into a house of worship where Christ and the Spirit of Christ is present. The glory of God is there, and the world is looking and seeing this beautiful house of the Lord that He is making, not we're making, that He is making, and that our lives are really built around the cornerstone, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's good news because that's a work that He does. And Matthew 7, those who are building their houses upon the rock, they will stand when the storms come and the trials and testing come. But those who build their houses upon the sand, those will crash and burn. And those who build their homes on the rock, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, well, those are the ones who hear the words of the Lord and they do them. And very specifically, Cornerstone Ministry is meant to really look specifically at our relationships, the relationships which extend outside of the church, our, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationships with our roommates, our relationships with our children, our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our co-workers, okay? What does God's Word have to say, and how is He calling us to live out the gospel in each one of those areas of life, okay? And the connection that I'm going to try to make for you between Isaiah 6, 1 Timothy 2, and Titus 2 is that they are all about God's expectations for worship in the household of God. All of them. Okay? Uh, could I have my next slide, please? Is that doable? And you'll be pleased to know I, I do not have many today. Okay. This semester, what we've been going through is, what is, it, what is worship, and what does it mean to have a house of worship? You know, the hope would be that with every family, every marriage, uh, that you would be part of the household of God, which is the local church, but that your home, uh, whether you're single with roommates or whether you're married or whether you're living by yourself, that this is an extension of the household of God, that your home would be a place of worship. Could I have my uh, next slide, please? Thank you. Okay, so this is kind of a reminder what is worship, okay? And, and I'm going to go over this over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, because our tendency when we're raised in the church is to think that worship is a time when we gather together to sing. Maybe by extension, if you're serving and you're an usher, maybe that's worship true. Okay, what we do. And when we think of worship in that way, first of all, we separate worship from the gospel. We separate it from the presence of God. We separate it from the joy of the Lord. And we segregate it and we limit it to us, ourselves, what we do. And hopefully what you learned in the sermon this morning is that the way Satan tries to distract us and discourages us is by getting us to focus on what we do and we forget about what Christ has done for us, okay? So yes, worship in part is what we do, but we need to see it in its wholeness, okay? And what drives worship and what defines worship is God's presence. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6 is sort of the standard, you know, the, the focal point of what true worship is. 
Okay, and uh, we have Dick Mayhew's definition. Worship is the supreme purpose for which believers were redeemed. Worship is a right response to the glory of God according to his word. So the implication is if, if you haven't experienced the glory of God, you're not going to worship. Okay, and, and so you can be here Sunday morning and you can be serving and you can be preaching a sermon if that sermon is coming from your studying and it isn't coming from being in the presence of the Most High God. I don't care what people are saying, it's not worship, it's blasphemy, okay? Gospel worship consumes the entirety of our lives. This is what we learned last time before Martin came, Romans 12, 1 through 2, okay? There's no aspect of your life, private or public, if you're a child of God, that is not about worship. The entirety of your life is meant to be an offering that is given to God in the same way Jesus, every step he took, every breath he took, every person he talked to, every interaction was entirely from his conception and kicking in his mother's womb, okay, all the way through to the cross and the resurrection. It was entirely an act of worship. That word worship, some of the words in Hebrew and Greek that are used for worship are service, okay, and also bowing down, giving your life. That idea of proskuneo is this idea in the ancient Near East where you would lift your hands up and you would bow down and you would touch the ground and it was a symbol or a communication that the entirety of my life, that's that posture, right? Every aspect of my body, it belongs to you. Okay, so there's no aspect of our lives that does not belong to the Lord or is not meant to be touched by the gospel. And that, indeed, is good news because Paul explains to us when Christ comes into our lives, the hope is maybe we're not perfect, but sin is no longer our ruler. We are now slaves to Christ, and because we're slaves to Christ, we're free from sin. Are we perfect? No. But as someone who just gets hired for the job and comes into his master's home, maybe it takes you a little bit of time to figure it out, and maybe it takes a little time for the master to show you how to live in his house, but the master has new expectations, a new standard, and he's got new provisions for you by which you are empowered and enabled to live for him and no longer to live in the street. And that's good news. And I think one of the big areas that we stumble in is we focus so much when we're Christians on the to-do list, and we need to. But what we forget about is all of God's provisions that he's given us in order to accomplish what he's put before us. And that everything we need, we've been given in Christ. That's Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3. That everything we need, and that's why when the premaritals come through for us, okay, and everybody's sort of worrying about, the wedding and, the, you know, the color of the tablecloth maybe and where we're going to live after. And we understand and God cares about those things and we can pray about those things, okay? But we can never forget what's most important. God's promise that if the Lord has brought you together, everything that you need, he has given you in Christ. And chief among those, as you'll see, is the need of the gift of forgiveness, that's what Martin talked about. Without the gift of forgiveness, I don't care how good the tablecloth is, and I don't care how good the home that you live in, you ain't going nowhere. But everything that you need, God has given you in Christ at the foot of the cross and through the resurrection, and that's worth celebrating. And that, I'm going to go over and over and over and over again, because that, brothers and sisters, is the foundation of worship.
Can I have my next slide, please? Thanks. You've seen this slide before, okay? But it hopefully is the gospel picture of what the Lord does, not just in our individual lives and hearts, but He does it in our marriages. He does it in our homes. He does it in our families. He does it in our parenting, and He does it in our places of work. And when someone gets saved, the Lord has come, and His presence is in their lives. They've come face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is gospel. And what's been confronted is that we're not right with the Lord. Why is that? Because God created us for Himself, but instead, if you're anything like I was, you're living for your desires. You're not living by faith. You're living by fear. And you're living for your expectations, you're living for your fallen expectations, your fallen desires, and you're living for your fallen ambitions. And Scripture says no one is exempt from that. That is how we all are. Now, the exciting thing about when you get married is you don't think you have expectations, typically, until you have to live with someone. And there's nowhere to run to and there's nowhere to hide. When Julie and I got married, we ended up moving into a very small house. And she had to leave her big home and her big room in Cerritos, and she had to come and slum it with me. That was part of the gospel experience that we talked about today. Don't despair when God brings you to a low place. But nonetheless, the thing about our home was there was nowhere to run and there was nowhere to hide. Okay, I felt, she felt, I'm sure, like she was in a boxing match in the ring and there were ropes around and so she had to run around the ring with someone always chasing her. Okay, but I raised that, okay, for me who had all this training in biblical counseling and I was speaking on the biblical counseling circuit and all of these things. Look, we all think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Okay. And you come in with all this training, and, and I even remember one of the pastors who I worked with saying, Mark, you know, a lot of this stuff you don't need, we've already been through with you, as far as premarital counseling. We become unaware of the expectations and the desires of our heart until the Lord gets a hold of us, and he shines the gospel, and he squeezes us a little bit, and then suddenly we start to believe or see that there are expectations about small things that we never knew we had flavors of ice cream, colors of cups, okay? Where the dishes go in the sink. I know that sounds ridiculous, okay? But honestly, you don't have to be a married couple for there to be falling out or disputes or disagreements where you don't spend time with one another over things as simple as that. The desires and expectations of our hearts Okay, And you begin to pull on that thread, and you begin to see that our desires, our expect, expectations, even if we're saved, until the Lord brings that light into those areas, and He is kind, and He is gracious not to do it all at once. He does it typically out of kindness and patience to us to go step by step by step by step. That's why there's progressive sanctification, right? And He goes, and He graciously brings these things to our attention, to turn us from ourselves and to turn to Christ and to see what's of most value and most importance. And hopefully roommates and married couples will realize, and hopefully this is in the church too, but we also get into spats there as well to say, there is something more important than the color of the sheets. Julie knows I like particular types of sheets, okay? And so we jest with one another about these things, and she jests about how high maintenance I am because of the sheets I like. So we typically don't buy them, okay? We slum it. But she can make fun of me in that way, okay? 
But you get to a point in your marriage with your kids, well, these things don't matter because there's something far more precious and far more important. And as time goes on, those things actually become irrelevant if we're walking with Christ and he is our sweetness and the blood of Christ draws us near. But that typically takes time and it takes patience and the Lord sees fit to make those things happen not instantly and sadly, most of us have been raised, myself included, on so many movies and so many rom-coms and so much Disney, okay, that the expectation many times, whether we're aware of it or not, that these things would happen instantly, that we talk to our spouse or we talk to our kids and suddenly it's all better. They, they should understand me perfectly because we had a conversation about it. It doesn't work that way because the Lord has to come in and he has to change our hearts and he has to give us a heart that worships him rather than ourselves. And that's what the cross does. And the Lord will bring the cross in hard ways in our lives. He will bring difficulties, adversities, and he'll even bring conflicts in order to get our attention so that we would start looking up instead of looking at one another. Or even worse, as time goes on, where all we're doing is we're looking at ourselves. And that, brothers and sisters, is a dark place to be. So what Jesus does is he comes into our lives and he changes our hearts. And as we begin to walk with him and we start to see how beautiful he is, and he does a work in our hearts, we get to the other side of the picture, okay? This is meant to be the household of God. This is meant to be your heart, and it's meant to be your home, where the ruler of your heart and what's present is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's 1 John 1, the fellowship that we have through the gospel, Okay, it's fellowship with God the Father and God the Son through the Holy Spirit, that Christ is present in you. And what's core and essential to your life, because Christ is essential, is the ministry of the Word and prayer. Okay, that is just essential, that's foundational. So that's why with all the premaritals who come and see us, we say set aside one time a week for a half hour where all you do is not wedding planning, but all you do is read the scripture and ask one another, how can I be praying for you? So you can hear the heart of your future spouse and pray for them and they can be praying for you. And we want you to do that for the rest of your life. Oh my goodness, how terrible is that, Pastor Mark? Can't we just do it till we get married? No, the idea is that your life now belongs to God and your marriage belongs to God and it would be built around what's most important. Where do we begin to build a house? We go on the foundation, right? We don't just sort of put up wood and a roof and put beautiful things inside and we've got a terrible foundation and what happens, it all falls apart. And so when you get to Titus 2, Titus 2 and 1 Timothy 2, what the Lord is doing with those churches is he's setting his expectations. He says the foundation is the gospel, and as you build, this is what it looks like to have a house that's built on the gospel. A woman is not having authority or teaching over a man. Men are leading in prayer in the church and in the home. The Word of God informs what you do and what you say and how you say it to one another. There are specific roles where older women are teaching the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children because their husbands and children are hard to love, okay? Each of those things, older men are supposed to carry on in a dignified way and younger men are to be self-controlled. That's all the fruit of the gospel. Those are all houses where there's been evidence or fruit that it's coming out of the gospel and what anchors all of it 
is our work and our time and our fellowship and our worship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And that happens through the ministry of the Word and prayer. It ain't going to happen without that. Okay? And that's where obedience comes from, because we can't obey if we haven't spent time with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not only because we don't know His Word, but because we don't have the power and strength to do it. It is only by faith that we come and we say, okay, Lord Jesus, you're saying it. I don't understand it, but it's clear in your word. I'm going to do it. As opposed to by fear, how can I manage? How can I control? How can I fix this? What do I need to do? Okay, so that's progressive sanctification of where the Lord takes us. Can I have my next slide, please? We're almost done. This is my second to last slide. And hopefully I'll tie it up with Isaiah for you so you see where this is connected. This is what Teddy's going to teach at Lagos this week. So I'm not going to steal too much of his thunder. But at the end of Titus 2, okay, the Apostle Paul talks about the gospel. And he talks about why we train and why we teach in righteousness. It's because Christ's grace has come. We don't do it in our own strength. The reason we're able to do it and the reason we go in this direction, we put off on godliness and we live God's expectations, not our own expectations, is because Christ has appeared. We've been forgiven. He's delivered us from ourselves. We're not perfect, but his grace is present in our lives. That's why, as we talked about earlier today, when someone is consistently choosing their sin rather than Christ or his word, and they've been confronted repeatedly, and they can't or will not leave their sin, we have to step back and say, okay, is grace really present in your life? Have you just been happy because you've been coming to church? Because a child of God will grow, and a child of God, she or he, will hear their father's voice. And when their father speaks and it starts to get louder and louder, they might not be perfect, but sooner or later as the volume goes up, they're going to follow what their father does. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay? And so that grace is ultimately what takes us and gets us by faith in Christ all the way to the place where the glory of Christ is one, gonna, one day going to come and we're going to be like him. But what's life like in between then? Okay? Even though we're not perfect, even though God's grace is present, even though sanctification is progressive, the life of worship is one that's built around the presence of Christ in our hearts and our lives. He is king and he is Lord. We do as he says. No questions asked. Now, you can ask questions like David in the Psalms, but the heart of that is to find out the answers to your questions from him as opposed to standing over the word of the Lord. And if indeed Christ is going to be king, then your life is going to be built around the ministry of the word and prayer. Did I say that before? I did. And I'm going to say it again and again and again. What we do on Sunday should be a model for your home. I know we're not used to this. I know we weren't raised in families where this was the case. Typically for most of us growing up in immigrant homes, our lives were built around work and education. Okay? There's a place for work. There's a place for education. Work will by nature take up most of your time. But work and education without Christ or his grace is idolatry. And you all and I know what that looks like. 
and that's not enough to sustain a family, and sooner or later it crumbles and burns, even though it might buy you a big house. And so we see, as Paul is writing, 1 Timothy and Titus, he's showing them, because they came out of that church, both of them Gentile backgrounds, look, this is what it looks like, and these are God's expectations and His provision for a house of worship. A house of worship, even if it's your home, even if you're a bunch of roommates and you're not married, okay? And this is what we've gone over with the guys at Ringwood, right? Is it's built around Christ. It's built around his provision for your life, the gospel. And it's built around his love and his expectations for you. And if that's the case, it's going to be built around his word and prayer. So something that you need to ask yourself each day, is your day built around your time with Christ through the ministry of the word and prayer? As your day closes, is your life built around that, or do we fit it in after we've finished all the things that we need to get to, and then I'm going to have my downtime with the Lord? If he's your Lord, he's to be first and he's to be last. And it's pretty clear throughout Scripture that that's his provision for you to take care of you and protect you. That's why Daniel, when he's in all these foreign kingdoms, and he's a successful ruler, he's praying three times a day, and he won't stop praying even if they put a law against it because he so desperately needs, this is Daniel a prophet, he so desperately needs the fellowship and help of the Lord every minute, every step of the way. So have a look at your lives individually and say, okay, is my life built around Christ? Is it built around the ministry of the Word and prayer? And that doesn't mean that you quit your job and you spend all your day reading the Bible and you go to seminary. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the principle of your life being built around the ministry of the Word and prayer. Now, how does that extend to our families and our children and equipping people for worship? If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit and His Word is going to change you. It doesn't happen microwave, Benny Hinn, in an instant, but it does happen over a period of time. The Lord promises that. He says, my Word will not return to me void. It's going to change you. It's going to change how you think. It's going to change your expectations. It's going to change what you feel comfortable with. And it's going to do it naturally and organically. And yes, there's time for biblical counseling where a brother or sister is going to come and rub you the wrong way, or he's going to force the issue, but he's going to use your life in the local church. But at the end of the day, God's word and prayer is going to change you. It's going to transform your life, how you think. And that's because God has promised to do so, and that's because that's his provision and where his spirit comes in. As your life changes in front of your children or your spouse, they are going to notice over time that you are changing. And the presence of the Lord is going to be a witness and an encouragement to your spouse and your children. Does it mean your life is going to be perfect and easy? No. Because what will happen is people's flesh will start to push against you. Why do we have to do things this way? Why does it go that way? Yes, that's going to be there. But nonetheless, the light that's being shone in your home, and Chris G. talked about this earlier, is the light of an example. 
that as people see you, they see that your joy and delight doesn't come from the size of your house, the car that you have, all the whistles and bells, whether things are going well or not. You're not distracted with those things. At the end of the day, your joy comes from the truth and reality of the gospel that you're forgiven and you're loved by Christ, that he's present in your life day in, day out, good days or bad days. Now, do we need help with that? Yes, we do. But that's part of the witness, too, when someone's heart is transformed, is when I come, Julie will take one look at my face, and she'll say, you're not doing well, okay? That means I'm in the flesh. That's code language, okay? All right? That means I need more Jesus, all right? Or she'll say, is this what the gospel says, okay? I, I tore off the bumper on her car yesterday, so all I could talk about yesterday was tearing off the bumper of her car, because, and I did it, too. I, I pulled into our garage, right? after an elders meeting, no less. And this is, this is the Lexus that she bought years ago when she was a single gal, which was, you know, her pride and joy. So the, the Lord was the wrecking ball, but I take first total responsibility. So, so that's against worldly luxury cars. Anyways, that's not what I'm saying. But, but yesterday, I'm like, honey, I feel so terrible. I feel so terrible, right? And, and then she gently said to me, look, it's time to move on, right? And I was convicted that in my heart, that is not a gospel perspective. I'm trying to teach today about not being distracted by secondary things. Does Christ still love me whether I tore off the front of Alexis or not? He does. Am I still righteous before the Lord? I am. Does our family have everything we need? Absolutely. Is there love, grace, and mercy and forgiveness from those in my home? I'm rich, uh, richer than any man. So... Why am I grieving over that car? Well, it tells you a little bit where my expectations and my heart is. And those are areas where I need to repent, okay, and look to the Lord. Where does that come from? Praise God, it came from my wife, but ultimately that's the presence of Christ and the ministry of the word and prayer in her life, okay? And so where I'm going with this, yes, I can tell you how to do it, a, a, a children's lesson. We can do it blindfolded. It doesn't, it's not rocket science, but the place we begin is by, as, as, as the Hargroves mentioned, is our tone. It's what's in our heart, right? And when we have a hard time and we're struggling with bitterness and discontent, which we all do, because life is hard, will we go to Christ? Will we be thankful? And will we, be, will we look to him to give us the help that we need to say, Lord, this is hard, I'm struggling. Would you help me? And would you do a work in my heart and life? And then, brothers and sisters, as we're walking in the light, we are in a position with our wives and our children to read the scriptures together. And we do that with our children. We don't know whether they're saved or not, so that they can see what gives us joy. So they can hear after we go through the study, well, this is what the Lord did for your mother and your father. Did you know your father was a pretty worldly guy who loved all those whistles and bells? And the reason we're here in San Jose is because God did in your father's life the same thing that he did in the Apostle Peter's life and the Apostle Paul's life and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these men. He got a hold of him and said, your life is not pleasing to me and you're missing out on what's most important. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have an opportunity to walk your children through, and we do need to consistently to read the scriptures so that they know from Genesis through Revelation the story of God. 
but also how God has loved us and the work that he's doing in our lives. And then we need to pray consistently with our children. So I'm telling you, parents, it's as simple as setting aside a time a week that is holy, set apart for the Lord. Roommates, you guys are gathered together, setting aside a time a week, which is holy, where you consecutively read through God's word and hear him speak to you and understand the story of God and the narrative that he's put you in, and that you also have an opportunity to pray together to experience the fullness of his pleasure and his presence in your lives. And with families, we get the opportunity to bring our children in and ask them for prayer requests and say, what do you need help from God with? Are they saved? No, but they do need to know that there is a God present, and he's the one they need to go to to ask for help in their time of need. So that one day when the Lord sees fit to regenerate their heart, the pieces come together. But faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And so we have a responsibility to pray and read the scriptures to our children and to our spouses and to our family members. That is our responsibility. Our first responsibility, I'm going to say, in the household of God. And it doesn't take a lot of time. So what does this have to do with Isaiah? And I'll close with this. Can I have my final slide? Okay. In the book of Isaiah, what's so beautiful is Isaiah shares with us his call. He's discouraged about the death of a good king. And so he comes into the house of the Lord. And when you go through those first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah has laid out all the condemnation and all the woes of the sins of the people. But when he gets in front of the Lord, he realizes, as bad as they are, I'm sinful too. Woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. And as he beholds the glory of the Lord, his life has changed. And his life has changed first by seeing how sinful he is. And then God so graciously sends one of his angels to touch him with a hot coal, which comes from the altar where the animals are sacrificed. And from the blood of Christ that is shed for his sins and from that hot coal that is placed on his lips, this is entirely what the Lord does, he's forgiven. And it's at that point that Isaiah is equipped and ready to go out and serve and speak to the people the word of God. Brothers and sisters, that's worship. That's what we hope to do on Sundays. But by extension, that's what you hope to do in your homes with your roommates and your children. That as you come face to face with the Lord, he is gracious and merciful. He quietly shows you the areas in your life where your expectations and desires need to change. And as you go to him, he provides the remedy, which is the blood of Christ. And as he forgives you and he changes you, he equips you for the moment where you're able to share with your roommates, your spouse, your co-workers, a life of worship, a life that's filled with the joy and the goodness and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The model and the blueprint for a house of worship is simple. What's necessary is the cross. Why don't we take a little bit of time, 149, 10 minutes, to break up into small groups and to spend a little time praying and asking the Lord to give us each hearts and homes of worship that are built around the ministry of the word and prayer. And then I'll dismiss you in 10 minutes.